Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 112, Revisiting Double Identity. Kabish. Thanks, Frankie. He was terrific. If I'm lying, I'm dying. She called me Frankie. Teresa gave me the slip for 20 minutes. I can handle this Don Jane, I swear it. Whoever she's with is dead meat. I don't want him dead meat. I want him singing soprano. Sam, looks like you popped in just a tad late, huh? How'd you know? Well, Frankie's condition when he appeared in the waiting room left very little to the imagination. Who's Frankie? Frankie, he's a, he's a hitman. A what? A hitman. You know, banga, banga, banga. What am I here to do? I, well, I don't know. We only did a top line on Frankie. We didn't have any time for in-depth research. Look, God or time or whoever the hell is leaping me around from one year to another is going to do it again as soon as I change whatever happened in Frankie's life in 65 or someone around him, right? Correct. Wouldn't it be nice to know what that is? Not necessarily. Because Ziggy is 97.3% sure that he can leave you back if both of us pay attention to his instructions down to the decimal point. What instructions? Your father may have saved his life, and Primo may be his son-in-law. When Gino finds out about us, you'll be feeding the fishies, and I'll be wearing concrete undies. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I gotta leap out of here before Gino finds out that Frankie's a guy beating his time with Teresa, capiche? Teresa is the lady that Frankie was whatever in the attic. This is going to make retrieving you tonight very interesting. Tonight? You're leaving me out tonight? Hmm, at 2228 Greenwich Mean Time. Great. Providing. Here it comes. You must duplicate the event that was occurring when you arrived. In other words, you have to be with whomever was present in that attic. Teresa. And engaged in whatever activity was taking place. In my attic. In my attic. See, Don Geno, I watched them climb up there with my own eyes. Some people, they got no respect. Oh, they're gonna have respect. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today, we've finally arrived. We are at my favorite season one episode. (laughs) Today, we are revisiting Double Identity. (laughs) 
Volare. Evil Italians. Hey, forget about it. I have been looking forward to this one so much in a way that I would not have been doing if it was just me and Alison. Hey, always. So, yeah, this is uh, Sam Sleep into a stereotypical Brooklyn hitman, you know, because everybody in Brooklyn is a hitman. And uh, You mean they're not? I've been avoiding Brooklyn all my life. Should I visit? Is it safe? Uh, you should never visit. You should never visit. No, no. <laughs> Sorry, that, that was my that was my Don Gino. That's the only impression I'm bringing out tonight. <laughs> that was so good. It was no. brilliant. No, no. Thank you. Thank you. No. <laughs> that face. <laughs> The great Mike Genovese. It's nice to see Mike not playing uh, Mr. Collins because (laughs) I've seen him so many times in Mirror Image that, as you guys remember, I forgot completely that he was Don Gino. (laughs) I think it was when we were doing the Mirror Image show, it kind of dawned on me. It's like, holy crap, he had another one. And uh, it's nice to see him in his original role on Quantum Leap. So in Mirror Image, when when Sam has those like grayscale flashbacks, do you have that during this? Like Don Gino appears, and you have a flashback <laughs> to Mr. Collins. I do, I do. <laughs> Nobody goes in that mine without my say so, mother. <laughs> he does accents so well. I think Donald Belisario liked him because he was also in a pilot for a show that never came to be, which I might have mentioned before, called Crowfoot. And he was kind of like one of the main supporting characters in that. Really? Ooh. So, interesting factoid if you're me. <laughs> Thank That sounds like something I've got to check out. Oh, yeah. If you can't find it, I can I can get a copy for you because it's pretty hard to find. It's one that I did for a movie nights uh, or a Obscure Sloopa Presents way back in the day. That was an old one that I did. Yeah. I love failed pilots. Obscure Sloopa, that was like your, your first online identity, right? Yeah, yeah. That was my first alias online. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, yeah, I did it because it has um, the lead actress from She-Wolf of London, Kate Hodge. She's uh, one of the starring roles in that. (laughs) So there you go. Mike Genovese and Kate Hodge together again for the first time. (laughs) All right. So, I mean, uh, I think you guys are expecting a certain reaction from me on this one, but I want to get your initial impressions of this rewatch of Double Identity. Uh, I'm so curious to know – what you guys think of the episode and if, if knowing me has changed the way you might look at it. But uh, let's let's start with Allison. That didn't change my opinion. <laughs> I'm not as influential as I, I think thought. This is a great episode. This is a great episode. I love this episode. It's it's goofy. It's fun. Um, there's a lot of enjoyable aspects to it. Uh, certainly there's stereotypes in it. I'm not going to uh, say that there isn't. But, um, but yeah, I really like this one. How about you, Matt? Uh, one th- one thing that's important to note: this is the final episode of Quantum Leap that I ever saw, because I I got into the show at the start of season two, and then I saw season one in bits and repeats here and there, and I saw this like a year after I'd seen every other episode. So there was a lot hanging on this one for me, and I also do not like mafia films or shows. I have no interest in them, <laughs> but this is quite fun. Yeah, I quite like it. We'll talk more about this during the show, but yeah, I, I I find it fun. Yeah, the mafia aspect seems very downplayed, all things considered, to be honest. And that's probably why I don't mind it as much as things like... I, I, I watched The Godfather once years ago, and I was like, I can see why it's a respected movie, but it's just not for me. And um, 
yeah, the, the fact that they just they just riff on it a little bit here and, and those kind of films, but there's just some very cute characters having fun. So, yeah, I'm good. All right, Chris, big question. How did you feel about it this time around? <laughs> I know you guys are expecting a tirade. I know that um, my past comments about uh, this kind of show and this episode specifically have maybe you guys bracing yourselves um, out yep. there in the listening audience as well. But I have to say, it was adorable. It was fun. <gasps> it was <Yeah>. funny. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody do the Tarantella. Team Double Identity. It was Teresa's butts, wasn't it? <laughs> Teresa's butt did it. Yeah, that had a lot to do with it. Now, I know that um, I've gotten on my high horse very, very often when it comes to this type of show and this kind of portrayal of Italian-Americans uh, on film. And, you know, I don't know where I got that from. I, I, I know where I got it from. I got it from The Sopranos. Watching The Sopranos, I got increasingly disenchanted and began to loathe the characters on that show the more it went on, as I think you're supposed to. And I just got sick of everything that I saw with Italian-Americans in it being something to do with the mob. And then I realized that Quantum Leap is really no exception when it comes to that mm -hmm. trope. So I was, I think I was more angry at The Sopranos and just done with the whole concept. But rewatching this and putting it into its own context again and not having all of that bigger baggage like weighing it down. Yeah, there are things that are utterly ridiculous about this episode and just so stereotypical and so like offensive if you really want to get down to it. But at the end of the day, they're trying to make a nice light comedy about hitmen, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Is that make it a black comedy? Does that make it a dark comedy? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you know why this happened. You know why this happened? Married to the Mob happened. Yes. That's why. Yes. Like, I yeah. think they absolutely were writing off of that Oscar nomination that Dean Stockwell got for Married to the Mob just before doing Quantum Leap. And you can see shades of that in this. I mean, there's a lot of stereotypes uh, from these types of stories in both that movie and this as well, but I would bet good money that this happened because of that movie. Yeah. He was great in that movie. I haven't seen that movie since it came out. I think I saw it once. So maybe I'll have to revisit that after I revisit this. We'll do that on a leaps elsewhere one day. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, honestly, the first scene I found to be both um, <laughs> very offensive, but also very pleasant. Uh, you get basically uh, Teresa after she's done, you know, banging Frank in the attic. She goes for what I call the Italian American stereotype tour all around the block yeah. or all around the yard, rather. <laughs> First, you get the angry mom speaking in Italian about somebody's hairstyle. Then you get the gambling thugs. I guess they're playing dice for cash on the lawn. Then you get Nona complaining about the calamari. It's like a rubber. It's like a rubber. Yeah. <laughs> it's just getting the scene set. It's for those of us, especially outside the UK, going, what, what is this Italian American uh <laughs> thing what, what is this cliche we we need to understand it we need context it helps explain it <laughs> it it always ends up at the bocce ball court right yeah don gino playing bocce ball with all the other <laughs> old made men with the shiny balls with the shiny balls <laughs> i thought it was great just the way that they were all speaking italian that there yeah. was no subtitles until they needed them for a laugh yeah, this episode had the heaviest use of another language didn't it i feel like they didn't do that that much yeah pretty much I can't think of one where he's speaking in another language for prolonged periods of time. Yeah, Lee Harvey Oswald a little bit, but not as much as this. Oh, the Russian, sure. Which is Al's other half. 
Right. <laughs> Machiko. Yeah, do they do uh, Machiko? She doesn't speak much Japanese in that because she's trying to Americanize her. Yeah. yeah. Those three are the only episodes that really have chunks of another language. I, uh, I loved hearing Al speak Italian in this. Pionieri e profondi, forse le parrucchiere riveleranno a loro i loro secreti più profondo e neri. I thought that was great. I love how much they embrace Al's Italianness in this particular one. And see, that's good representation. Al's Italian. He ain't no mafia guy. No, that's for sure. That's for sure. And, you know, it's funny because I was thinking, is is some sort of, like, a history of Chris in order here, just to put this in context. I mean, I identify as Italian-American, but I'm only half Italian. And to tell you the truth, I didn't hear a lot of Italian uh, being spoken when I was growing up. My dad spoke it with his brothers occasionally when they didn't want us to know what was going on. But the fact of the matter <laughs> is that all of my Italian grandparents were dead by the time I was I had to be maybe five years old. My dad's mom died when he was 10. So I never even mm. knew her. And um, I didn't see my Italian grandfather that much on, on that side of the family. So I do primarily identify as an Italian, but my mom is Irish and we didn't speak Italian in the house growing up. So I have, you know, a lot of this culture seems to me a bit over the top because it wasn't exactly my upbringing, but I identify it with all of it. And just having them, just hearing them speak Italian was, it just, it gave me like a little thrill. It gave me a kick, hmm. you know, it felt like, you know, but uh, maybe I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because I'm not like this dyed in the wool, AOOA, you know, uh, Italian where it's just everything to me, but it is an important part of how I identify. So I think that's why I have gone on this tangent and taken this little corner, I guess like this little hill, I'm on this little hill on, uh, <laughs> on the field of quantum leap. And I think I'm ready to just plant the flag and walk off of it now because <laughs> again, after seeing this episode, how can you stay mad? <laughs> I mean, it's good that you found like positivity uh, in it this time around. And like, um, I don't think it's like bad for you to want good representation because you're half Italian just because you didn't grow up like with it like constantly in your face you are Italian you know anyone who identifies in any way if all you're seeing is a certain type of representation then it does start to wear on you after a while like I didn't really think about how often they had evil mafia people in there I, I don't think it was particularly nah. because they were being anti-Italian I think it's because it's a very convenient villain to write in true but true. Uh, yeah. I can absolutely see how someone would want more from that hmm. now let me ask a question that I like to ask for people that are not from New York did their accents in this strike you as like way over the top Brooklyn New York stereotype <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've heard one or two people kind of talk like that. I'm not sure all as condensed as it is in this episode, but <laughs> I don't know. The only time it felt really over the top for me is when Sam is speaking Italian at the salon. No. Yeah, he was really putting the stink on that. He was really putting the stink on the accent there, but I think he was supposed to kind of sound bad. 
His whole face inverts while he's talking. The more Italian they get, the more hand gestures they use. And this is everyone. <laughs> this is including Al. When Al is speaking Italian, he's using more hand gestures. They even have a joke about, like, don't talk with your hands. When Sam yes. starts talking like them, Capiche, he's using his hands. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, w- I was talking more specifically the New York accent because mm-hmm. sure. to me, they all sound normal. And I was even toying with the idea of trying to get on mic today and speak the way I normally speak. I, I think I've said this before, but I, I can't. I, I I'll try. I'll try, but it's gonna be it's gonna be distracting. It's gonna be self conscious. I had it burned out of me in journalism school to get rid of my accent when I'm on mic. And as I, mm. I, I think I might have alluded to on the show, I know I've said it on other shows. This is not what I sound like when I'm talking to my mother or to people in my life generally. And maybe I'll try. Maybe I'll try. If you guys hear me sound weird. It just doesn't come naturally anymore. I can't get on mic and, and speak like if I was on the phone with a friend. It's just the weirdest thing. Oh, man. I'm, I'm sorry if in the past it seemed like I was making fun of you. Like, I love your regular accent. It's great. Don't be ridiculous. No, I don't take offense at the fact that I have an accent. I know I have an accent. and I mean, I was raised in the Bronx. There's no way I don't have an accent when I'm not on mic. And it was really a bone of contention with me. When I got to journalism school and I was like, why can't I sound like me? And they're just like, because you need a flat Midwestern accent. So I tried to put on like this voice that I thought they wanted. And they said, well, you don't sound natural. I said, of course I don't sound natural. You're making me affect this weird (laughs) accent. Let me just talk like natural. (laughs) (laughs) But here I am. Here I am. I don't know if anybody, you know, I guess it it sneaks out here and there, but uh, this is apropos of nothing and is interesting to nobody but me. It was just another aspect of this episode, hearing them all with the, quote, Brooklyn accent sound normal. It's interesting to us, Chris. Yeah. All right. When I was a kid, like like all in the family, they were the only people on TV who sounded like us. You know, they all... So... I look for that as well, almost as much as I look for the Italian-American thing. I try to see, that guy's doing a really shitty New York accent, isn't he? Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) I can tell that guy's from Utah. (laughs) Yeah, so back to uh, double identity. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, trying to figure out the themes because there was such an undercurrent of violence in this one. Oh, man. Isn't murder funny? Right? Aren't hitmen funny? I feel like they never really properly address the fact that Frankie is a hitman. Benga, benga, benga. Sam leaped into a hitman, and they talk about it. They say he's a hitman, but, like, he's just redeemed at the end because he promises not to do it anymore. Like, I think you're off the hook for all the murders, sir. (laughs) But is there some background to this? Because as soon as Sam as... Don Gino says, yeah, yeah, don't do it anymore. Frankie's just got this big smile like, yeah, all right, then. It's like, isn't there a part of Frankie thinking that this is me? This is my chosen life. With this, oh, yeah, just get Teresa to teach you how to blow dry hair or whatever. But has he been pressured into it? Where's the background? Uh, yeah, he's part of the, the family life. He didn't really want to be part of that, it seems. We're not really clear on it, but apparently yeah. he's cool with giving it all up. But I kind of feel like maybe you should have a little more remorse, even if you were like, I wasn't into it. Maybe you could be like, I I don't really, I feel bad about all those people I murdered. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we did get to see the real Frankie come back at the end as just sort of like an affable dope. He really does want to be with Teresa. So that's nice. And He's a himbo. A himbo. Okay. He's a himbo. <laughs> he respects the women. He murders the men. Um, he's just a dumb, good-looking guy. They tell us many times in this episode, he's so good-looking. Sam's looking in the mirror like, hot damn, this guy looks good. 
And I don't know. I I I I know this is subjective, but does he look that great? I can never tell with guys. He's I mean, he's not bad looking. He's not ugly. I just like everyone's like, oh whoosh. just their hair blown back. Like, wow, what a good looking yeah, guy. Sam, Sam seems pretty amazed. Yeah. But I, I love the the contrast that we get when Don Gino appears and Sam and Teresa are both sort of saying, Yeah, 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 no, 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 it was all my fault, it was all my fault, and don't kill the other person, it was all me. And then he comes back, he's like, Oh, we were looking for a suitcase. And just uh, tries <laughs> to come up with this crap excuse. It's not at all gallant. It's just, uh, let's just lie through our teeth and hope we survive. Yeah, this is the only time we get to see the leapy post leap, isn't it? Yeah. Until foreknowledge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he clearly doesn't seem to remember what was going on, which brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this whole double leap thing at the end, that was the whole reason that they shuffled the order, uh, because this was the first proper episode filmed after the pilot. And I find that so interesting, because it is such a deviation from their normal format. I wish that they had experimented with more things like this. Like he yeah. screws up at the end and leaps into someone else. I, I don't know that he screwed up. I think Ziggy screwed up and tried to retrieve him, but he wasn't ready to leap again. Is, is that what it, what it was because of the failed retrieval? Yeah, I. that's the way I chose to look at it. That was my take, but I don't think it's clear. It's not. It's not clear. This is the way I chose to interpret it. I chose to interpret it that Ziggy had this wacky idea that had to do with Sam for no reason at all causing the blackout of 1965. <laughs> well, I don't think they were expecting that, though. I don't know why they thought what they thought this was going to do, but apparently the blackout was an unexpected consequence of this. But it was a real world event. Right. Yeah. That was their kiss with history, I think. Yeah. I guess they're still experimenting with we need to have some sort of major thing that everybody recognizes as a touchstone to see, oh, look, Sam is affecting our world. I mean, this was. We got it's funny to see this here in such a small way, but it really is a concrete example. The show got so far away from this kind of stuff that by the time Don did it again during JFK and the end of JFK, it was all a surprise to us. And it's just like, wait a minute, they've they've been doing this since the beginning. Right. He was leaping around a bunch in, in that, yeah. But not even that, but just the fact that he saved Jackie. Oh, right. Yeah, that thing. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, our reality is now shaped by Sam Beckett. Well, we've seen that happen like twice now in the first series. So it's like, hmm. And I mean the first season. I was being all British there. <laughs> can we can we just stay on the, the whole no reason for the blackout thing for a moment? Because the way I took that possibly, and I think this helps a lot if it comes straight after the pilot. In the pilot, what we know is Sam's got to do something. He's got to achieve a mission that may have something to do with real-world events, and he's got to make damn sure that no one knows that there's been a leap. They make a big deal out of that in the pilot, and then they don't really talk about that later. But isn't that the reason why he's got to be back in the attic doing the same thing at the same time the day after, so that Frankie isn't too confused when he comes back, and the reason for the leap is to cause the blackout. So he wants he needs to cause the blackout at just the right time, so that Frankie can come back and everything carries on as normal. That's how I took it, that Ziggy, Ziggy had figured out the reason for the leap, the blackout, but wanted to do it in such a way that it also covered up that there'd been a leap at all. And then after that, we give up on the whole thing because that's just getting too complicated. Yeah, but that, uh, that, uh, that all just falls apart under any sort of scrutiny. Because A, Does it, why did that is the my blackout scrutiny. need to happen? Why did it need to happen at all? Like, there's, It doesn't seem like there's a, a purpose 
for this blackout to happen in this leap. And um, if Frankie doesn't remember anything, how does this fix it? And also the other two that are there know this is a different day, so it wouldn't really fix anything with the Frankie thing. Yeah. Right? And also, they, they, they're trying to keep them from knowing about the leap, if that's what's going on. Teresa seems to see it. She says, like, yeah. were we hit by lightning? She thinks it's a lightning strike that did it. She saw the leap? I have a big question mark on that one. I wanted to know if maybe she thought that the blackout was caused by lightning or something. And oh, maybe that's the why the lights went thought? out. Or she saw the leap. Yeah. Al has mentioned the fact that he can see a leap in Peoria. Yeah. Right. He does seem to know it, but then he doesn't know it in mirror image. So it's, yeah, confusing. <laughs> so, I mean, we don't. We don't have consistency there, but this is a whole ball of inconsistency. But but even if Al could see it, I could understand him seeing it because he sees Sam or whatever. Like, he, he sees things that other people wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, it makes more sense. It makes more sense for Al to see it. As for why does the blackout need to happen, this is not at all explained in the episode, and this is total headcanon fan stuff, but... We do find out later on, particularly Revenge of the Evil Leaper, that electricity can interfere with stuff. Is it possible that Ziggy was just like, right, let's just get rid of all of the electricity in the area, power down everything, and then I've got a better chance of retrieving Sam? <laughs> yeah, but that was unexpected, right? Because Al is saying like, that he, oh, well, whoever heard of a hairdryer blacking out all this? Like, it seemed like that it hindered their progress, right? Well, I thought it was dumb, but if Ziggy was maybe trying to cause the blackout in order to be able to retrieve oh, Sam. Ziggy, Ziggy, Ziggy. I love, Matt, that you basically, I this is going to be unique, uniquely Chris take on what you just said. But basically you're <laughs> saying that Ziggy is got the wattage of like an AM radio. So like if there's any, like if the vacuum's on or the TV's on too close by or my phone is plugged in next to my AM radio, I get nothing but a bzzz. But once I turn all that shit off, I get a nice clear signal. <laughs> Ziggy was turning off all non-essential electrical uh, systems. Trying to get rid of that background hum. Get a nice clear signal off the iodine. <laughs> Chris, that stuff is canon from Revenge. I mean, retrospectively applying it here, that's a stretch. But the sure. electricity in the the prison at Revenge does cause some problems. So that stuff's canon. Yeah, yeah, I, lo I love retroactive canon stuff. That's good. Retroactive. <laughs> I wonder how much Ziggy does control, though, right? Because Ziggy turns off all the electrical systems, all the non-essential ones at the project. How much do Ziggy controls the microwaves and the AC <laughs> and all this other stuff? Like, that's a lot of power. You're just asking for, like, a Space Odyssey situation here. Yeah. With the AI yeah. taking over, how much Ziggy can control. Yeah, and with Ziggy's ego. Maybe that's how Lothos eventually came to be. <laughs> that's the future, Ziggy. Got a big head. <laughs> we couldn't get off Lothos with Knights in the Morning Store and all the wacky theories that we had there. It just keeps on growing and growing and growing. <laughs> <laughs> Ziggy turned off a microwave and got power crazy for it and was like, right, this is, I'm starting to discover my darker side now. I'm making them all starve. This is fun. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. Took away their taco chips and cheese, and then he's going to start taking the air out of the imaging chamber, and then sealing the door. Oh my god. Yeah. If this happened in the reboot pilot, if that's what eventually happened to Al, don't tell us. I want to find <sighs> out when we're watching. I've said too much. <laughs> Al's desiccated husk in the imaging chamber. <laughs> 
just find Al's skeleton in there? Like, oh yeah, yeah, Ziggy just sealed him in. That's right. We found Donna's skeleton with the frying pan in the yeah. in the control room, and Al's skeleton <laughs> in the imaging chamber sealed it like clawing at the door. Yeah, yeah. They open it up and they find the skeletons with cobwebs. They shove them aside and they're like, "We got some work to do." Why didn't we write this show? <laughs> <laughs> a nice dark take. Okay, so there's some retroactive headcanoning uh, that I've done with this as well. Yeah, I mean, because I still want to stick with Frankie and the double leap and some aspects yeah. of Sam and yeah, and all that. Is that are you still not in that space, Allison? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I know what you're talking about with, with Sam. So when he starts like talking like them, um, I think that's a little <laughs> bit of early magnifoozling, if you want to kind of retroactively. I don't think that was a concept they had in mind at that time, but it kind of seems like, yeah. you know, because he's not just talking, he's doing the hand gestures. It seems like he's not doing it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. And he gets more Italian when he becomes the Don. Yeah, yeah. From now on, you're out of the family business. I don't care what you do, have Teresa teach you how to cut hair, but no more banga banga, capiche? He's also, I think, like hamming it up at that point. Oh, man, I love that he he loves being the Don. And then he, <laughs> there's this bit, the bit where he puts the hat on and the tie gets caught in it. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like such a natural moment. Like, I feel like that was just a flub that he went with, but it was so good. Yeah. That's so good that it made it into the opening credits. <laughs> Yeah, and, oh, it was uh, great. That's when they actually flash his name, Story Scott Bakula. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the moment for the season. Yeah, it was a great little bit of stage business. But I'm just confused as to why Sam has no apparent Swiss cheesing after the leap. Oh, God, now I'm Don Gino. It's convenient for the plot. Right, well, because he wasn't, yeah, he was just in that situation, so. Uh, a leap's a leap. Maybe he's Swiss cheese, but he's never, like, fully amnesia- after the pilot, so... And Chris, it's not a leap, though. It's a failed retrieval, rather than a leap. Hmm. Interesting. But he did become... Like, he leaped into his body, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just mean in terms of why isn't he Swiss-cheesed? Well, because this isn't a regular type of leap. He's not just completed his mission and then appeared randomly somewhere else. There has been an attempt to retrieve him, and he's been dropped back half a foot to the left. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you know what, Matt? I, it's uh, good. I like it. I like it. That at least gives me some kind of answer to cling to. The other thing that really struck me is that you you said this before, I think, Allison, that Frankie has apparently absolutely no memory of either the future or any kind of residual memory of anything that might have happened over the last couple of days because – as far as we can tell, he is right post-coitus in the attic mm -hmm. when Sam right. le leapt in. Mentally, I mean. Yeah. And that's why he's telling the Don, oh, we were looking for a suitcase. This wasn't his idea to be up here on purpose. And Teresa just brushes it off like, what? <laughs> I mean, I... Yeah, it's kind of lucky that all this, the assumptions Sam makes uh, are apparently true, that they are really actually in love and that Frankie would give up all this stuff because it's like, otherwise, what if he was just an irredeemable asshole? Right. He could be a total <laughs> scumbag. I'm not really convinced that he isn't, but apparently the episode tells us this. Apparently it was his idea for a primo to get married to the Don's daughter so that they could kill more people. Hey, don't you remember you and Pop said that if Primo was the Don's son-in-law, we could move on the Carluccis, no problem? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm, see, all this ain't <laughs> adding up. It ain't adding yeah. up. 
<laughs> this primo guy, uh, the other sidekick. There were two. Segundo. That's the first son and the second son. Primo and Segundo. You didn't get that? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> um, I know that they're kind of dumb, but I kind of enjoy their little bits, like where they're like kicking each other in the butt or like playing <laughs> with the light with the hair dryer. Hey, Frankie says we do it. We do it. Frankie says you jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. Would you jump? No. That'd be stupid. That'd be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I really like both of them. I thought they were terrific. Yeah. I really like enjoyed it. Rosencrantz and Gilderstern. They were just such good comic relief. Yeah, it was nice because like um sometimes uh some side characters aren't that fleshed out. And I don't think they're really that fleshed out, but they're entertaining despite being not really that he I guess they are plot important. Yeah, I mean, you need them to do the useless side plot with the blackout. So I mean the fact of the matter is though, I mean Getting from Brooklyn to Buffalo, that's like a nine-hour drive. That's that's a crazy long time. So uh, it, it was just weird, again, weird to me. I wonder if the original blackout originated in Buffalo, and that's why they had to sort of kowtow to that historical fact. I, I think it's just the distance is – it's part of the plot importance. You know, Sam can't be in two places at once. He can't possibly get from one place to the other in the time frame that Ziggy gives him. So – he has to get the mobsters to do it. Hmm. And also, that's uh, it gave some uh, some scenes that Scott Bakula wasn't in. That's, that's got to be nice early on. <laughs> he got some time off. Yeah, it's not going to last, Scott. I think that um, it's funny if you put this in context of being after Genesis. It makes more sense that it's so far field already from what I think we've established in Tess and what we've established in Starcrossed and the other one that we've seen so far this this season. I like the fact that you can tell that in this one, they're still really trying to figure it out. He Swiss cheesed until he's not. They don't remember it and we do two leaps. And it's like a lot of shenanigans and a lot of like, I think just trying out different stuff and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. And I, for one, I know that you you said, Allison, that you liked the double leap. I'm glad that this was one of the few times they pulled these shenanigans. Yeah, you wouldn't want it all the time, but like it's just like a fun exploration of different possibilities for leaping. They were experimenting with it a little more. Yeah, and I don't know if the show would have been as good if they did, because then the show becomes about the leaping instead of sure. about the people mm. and the journey that Sam's on. So, And I love leaping. I love all the leaping stuff. Give me the lore. You know me. But... <laughs> But just keep it to season five where it belongs. Right. Keep those gimmicks <laughs> for later on. <laughs> we have more important stories to tell now. But uh, keeping up with some of the lore aspects of this, once again, we see no imaging chamber door. I guess once again, we can say that's a product of it being where it is in the production rotation. Maybe they didn't even have an idea to do the door. Right. He just sort of disappears. Did they even add like a little a sound effect or anything? It's just Sam looks and he disappears like he's a ghost or something. Yeah, they they don't um, really have the imaging chamber doors sound for most of season one, apart from that one time in Tess. Yeah, I feel like sometimes they would do like a do 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 or like some sort of sound to, to indicate that he had appeared. Yeah, they they do that little jingle, but um, 
Yeah, I, I was checking into that recently as part of research because I thought surely they they do the door quite early on. But um, I flicked through every single scene that Al appears in in season one, and almost every time Sam's just talking to himself, and then suddenly Al's talking from off camera, which is really spooky. <laughs> and they keep that going till early season two, apart from yeah, Tess, where he he walks out to the imaging chamber door, and Genesis, of course. They do, um, when he gets dragged out, there's the door effect in Starcrossed as well. Oh, yeah, and, and Starcrossed, of course. I knew there was another one, but yeah. The slidey doors. They the were, slidey door. Yeah. Yeah, the slidey double doors. But it's less expensive to just have him off camera appear and disappear. It's true. <laughs> so it's, it's easier to do. <laughs> it gives a very different feel, like... It does, yeah. It's ghost-like. Yeah, exactly. It's ghostly. After they introduce the door in Gloria, from then on, it's quite definitive... He's there, he's not there. You sort of get the feeling throughout season one that he's just observing and you don't know where or when he's going to show up. It's, it's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't noticed that until recently, just what a different feel it gives. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting scene in this uh, where Sam's getting his hair done in the salon. And um, when Don Gino shows up, uh, there's all the, the guys out there, the. What's their faces? Uh, Primo Segundo and their dad, which I think his name was. Tony, Tony, Tony La Palma. Yes. So Tony says that, oh, yeah, it was my idea for Frankie to go in there because, uh, you know, they always, people talk to their hairdressers, hairdressers kind of gossip, they'll, he'll get some information from them. And he's like, well, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to ask him why he's in there. And if, unless he tells me that that's why, it's going to be the end. So uh, Al has to be there in that scene for the scene, the, what happens afterwards to work because Al tells Sam what to say. And tells him that exact information. So technically during that scene, Al is there, but we don't see him. He's lurking somewhere. And I think that's, is is that the only time that we, there's a scene where technically Al is in it, but the audience doesn't see him? You know what? Could it be? And now just, just go with me here. Sam was already in the beauty parlor, right? So from the point of view of the audience and from the point of view of Primo Segundo, um, the Don, Tony, and uh, Adriano was there too. He would not be visible. So in universe, right, yeah. it makes sense that you're not going to see him because Sam is not out there to see him. Yeah, but it feels like later mm. on, yeah, we would just see Al yeah, lurking no, around and 100%, then it would be 100%, yeah, clearer yeah. that he is listening in. But maybe it's one of the yeah. things that they were trying to figure out. What's the best way to portray this as we go forward with the series? You know, is, is Al always going to be visible? It, it is kind of spooky, though, thinking about invisible Al just lurking around. Al could be yeah. in your bedroom right now, and you would never <laughs> know. No, no. <laughs> Damn, I got to put some clothes on. He's, he's uh, peering out from the, the dryerland portrait. I'm telling you. <laughs> There's a reason I didn't hang that in my room. You know. <laughs> I'll give you nightmares. The eyes move. The eyes follow you. So, speaking of that scene in in the salon, Matt, did you ever do any kind of? Full translation of Al's soliloquy when Sam loses the thread and he has no idea what the hell Al is saying because another time that they don't have the, the subtitles. No, I know that the script has it in English, but it doesn't look long enough. So the, the script says uh, to their hairdressers. And conversely, if they tell their deepest, darkest secrets to their hairdressers, then perhaps their hairdressers tell their deepest, darkest secrets to them. But that's it. And it feels like Dean talks a lot longer than that. It certainly does. Yeah. 
All right. So all, all of you ITIs out there, my fellow ITIs, send us the translation of that that full. I actually have a friend that speaks pretty fluent Italian. I'll ask him and uh, we'll see what we come up with. Thank I'm you. I'm just sorry it took me so long to watch this. I should have watched this last week, so I could have asked him, but uh, you live, you learn. On that topic, at the start when uh, Nonna's babbling on in Italian, the script has a translation for that as well. So do, do you want that? Shall I share that? Because that actually sounds like it could be what she's talking about. Do it. I know she says manja or something. That's eat. Oh, boy. I'm supposed to speak Italian. Francis, where have you been? Come here so I can feed you. Why don't you eat? I made the macaroni with sardines the way you like it. Mrs. Cabrisi fixed the eggplant, so it's good too. Maria and I are from the same village in Sicily. Her husband, Vinny, God rest his soul, was a button man with your father. He was killed in the macaroni war in 37. Here, go eat, and don't forget bingo tomorrow night at St. Francis, you promised. Yeah, it must be Nana because it mentioned bingo. Yeah, very good. That seems like a very old person thing to do, just to be like, hey, you know, so-and-so, yeah, they were killed, and here's how, like, here's how they died anyway, let's do this. <laughs> we'll just throw that out there. Yeah, but the fact that he was a button man, so that means he was a hitman too? <laughs> and Chris, you'll appreciate, what while I was just rabbiting through that, I, I started moving my hands around a lot. It just felt natural. Oh, good for you. Oh, yeah. it's just, nice. It was written that's in nice. an Italian accent. It's very hard not to do that. <laughs> But you're right, when when Sam is speaking Italian, he looks like he swallowed a lemon. He looks like he's smelling something bad. I know, I love that. He does the, like, I'm gonna do the accent, while I say the lines. <laughs> <laughs> that scene's very good. I feel like I've heard conflicting reports about whether or not Dean Stockwell could speak any Italian. I don't think he was, like, extremely fluent, but I feel like I heard that he could speak some. Yeah. So I wonder how much uh, coaching he had to do. He had for that one, or yeah, maybe with with some practice. If he's familiar with it, and then they give him enough practice to do just one or two scenes, right? Yeah. yeah. I wish that Al had spoken more Italian. To be honest, I liked I liked seeing that part of him. You know, he um he talks about uh, his father in this episode as well. And look, I got <laughs> I got questions about his dad. Okay. <laughs> oh, so many questions. <laughs> All right, so. His father was from Abruzzi, and uh, one time his dad and his girlfriend snuck Al out of the orphanage on a double date. I remember when I was a kid, my dad and his girlfriend used to sneak me out of the orphanage on Saturday nights for a little homemade risotto, Chianti. One night he brought along this extra girl, and he says to me, son, I think it's about time. Al. And then Al has a story earlier in the episode about he's he goes into the closet with this girl in the fourth grade. I used to dip Hannah Gretz's pigtails. Uh, that was until I discovered it was a lot more fun to take Hannah into the cloakroom. In the fourth grade, I was socially advanced. What is going on with Al's dad? Like, this is irresponsible parenting. Like, I'm going to sneak him out of the orphanage for a double date? If he's around having dates, why is his son in the orphanage? What is Al's life? That's my biggest WTF moment of that. If the dad is home, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the history that Al gave was that their dad had to go overseas to work in the oil fields to support them, which is why he and Trudy wound up in the orphanage to begin with, right? Something like that, yeah. I think they were kind of back and forth, because at one point, um, their dad came back and they lived in a house together, and then they had to go back. But if the dad if the dad is home enough to make risotto from scratch, 
and you know, <laughs> yeah. a double date. How is Al still in the orphanage? Like, why? Why does he have to sneak his own kid out of the orphanage? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I mean, maybe Al was taken away from him. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he should have been taken away from him because this is some dark stuff. Like, if your parent is like, <laughs> we're going to have a double date and I'm going to get them, you know, together, my underage kid with this lady. I don't know. I really, like, they play it for laughs, but this is kind of some disturbing stuff. Oh, there's a lot of dark, disturbing undercurrents to this episode. The Al stuff just being some of them. There's a whole lot of problematic stuff going on with Al's sex stories and how young he was. Yeah, I feel like norms have, or socially accepted norms for that type of story, especially when it comes to adolescent males, have changed greatly. Yeah. There used to be a whole genre of films about, you know, the teenage boy losing his virginity to the older woman. It was an 80s staple. There were so many of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that that's, it's, it's calling on, on sort of that, that tradition or whatever that storytelling trope. Um, but I, I don't know that it, ages particularly well you're right and i still can't get over the fact that his dad would just still leave him in an orphanage when his dad is home yeah i get anything with al there's this this undercurrent of tragedy in everything right like when it's like oh this is so funny but it's like i don't think he was really that great of a dad oh his dad was a piece of crap yeah. yeah. Yeah, he has these rose-tinted glasses about how, you know, he was a hopalong Casadich or whatever he calls him. Regular hopalong Casadich. But it's always so sad when you hear these stories. Like, um, I don't know if his dad was intentionally a bad dad, but I think he was a bad dad. I, I, he was obviously a bad dad. Yeah. And they don't mention Trudy in this because I guess they hadn't decided to invent a sister for Al yet. But yeah. thinking about the fact that Trudy is also subject to this poor parenting is just mm. a little bit more heart-wrenching to the fans that can retroactively apply that. So, yeah, it's bad. It's it's pretty mm. bad. And uh, the fact that Al seems to be so, for the most part, well-adjusted about it is, I guess, just – Lucky, lucky us, <laughs> lucky him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. Ju- I think it just adds a lot of interesting layers to his characters. Or character. There's a lot of like things you can read into here. Like I think like it's it's really interesting to hear about his history and like it's. I I think it's a really fun episode for Al. It's just interesting when you kind of dig deeper into what's actually mm. being said here. Yeah, they they even hint at uh, at the Vietnam thing in this episode as well. Yeah, sixty five. LBJ's president. Vietnam, don't remind me. And that's all you get. Yeah, and I don't even know if that was a thought at that time, that he was a POW. He might have just been like, Vietnam, that sucked. But um, yeah. if they were thinking of it, I mean, no matter what, like it definitely seems to be hinting at that. And knowing what we know about his character, that's absolutely what he'd be referring to. What do you think, Matt? Do you think that they were referring to that specifically, alluding to the fact and that they knew he was going to be a POW? I would have thought if they were planning to do that, it would have been brought up in the pilot. It doesn't. This doesn't seem like a show that was planned out that well. With, with no offense to Donald and Deborah, they're clearly doing what a, a lot of shows of the time did and making up the show Bible as they went along. I think it would have been more specific by now. So no, I, th- I think he's remembering Vietnam as being a bad thing. Probably he was there, and that's that's all we know, and that's all the showrunners knew at the time. Yeah, I, I would think he he would be of the age that he would have been drafted 
at that time, yeah, to Vietnam, unless there was some excuse. Uh, presumably Sam had something going on where he couldn't go, either age or being a student or something. I think Sam was too young, I believe, yeah. if memory serves. He was only 16, right? So that's when Tommy went off. Yeah, I think when I think by the time the war was going, he would have been like by the time it ended, he would have been of age. But but he's a student; he probably was exempt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that that's interesting. Now, I when I heard that line, I assumed that that was something that Don was baking in because Don did write this episode, right? Yeah. That's also why there's the heavy Italian influence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Don is also, you know, big into stories about the military and about service. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're always part of the Navy. They always are. <laughs> so I would say that maybe this is something that he did plan for Al and that they were going to introduce it slowly as the series went on. Um, but you're right. You guys are right because they are usually pretty heavy handed. Like, you know, there might have been some sort of data dump at some point where Al's saying, uh, you know, I was a POW for X many years or whatever. It'd be interesting to ask Don and who knows if he even remembers. Yeah, I mean, that definitely could have been a thought. I think either way, like, it's interesting in retrospect, seeing these little yeah. hints spread out uh, for things that, that come up later. Yeah, and even if it was just a, an aside, it was a serendipitous aside, because we get such a big payoff on just that little thing that we infer from what he says, you know? It's just like, wow. The show really cashed in on that, even if it didn't know it wanted to. Yeah, I feel like with uh, the track record of Donna Belisario stuff, he probably knew that Al was a Navy man and probably thought maybe there could have been something like that there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Did they mention Al was in the Navy till season two? I know that he wasn't an admiral until then. No, well, he was a Navy pilot. He knew how to fly the X-1. Oh, right, right. The X yeah, Navy pilot. So yeah. He would have had to have known. That, well, they don't, they, don't, they don't clarify how he knows how to fly. He just talks about being an ex-astronaut. Oh, ah. it's See, so we, interesting because we, we assume <laughs> as fans because we know it all. Right? But it's yeah, huh? Hmm. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's so weird because that's such a big part of his character later on. To think that season one that wasn't introduced. I mean, that may have been a thought that they had, and it just wasn't mentioned. But they do it in Honeymoon Express, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the the opener for season two. Yeah. Well, the, um, I feel like they do in uh, Play It Again Seymour, he has medals and stuff on. So I, I feel like the military thing is, is implied there. Let's keep an eye out during Seymour. But Seymour, he does have the medals, but they, they're they not consistent with later because they hadn't established a story yet. So, But there's definitely some like medals going on, some sort of military thing. I just brought up the lines from the pilot because I, I was wondering exactly how they, they mesh the two. Al says, I'll be your co-pilot. Sam says, you're a hologram. Al says, I'm also an ex-astronaut. The hardest thing about flying is taking off and landing. The B-50 does the first part for you. So that's the full explanation. I'm an ex-astronaut, and therefore I know how to fly a plane. Yeah, because that's the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It all makes sense. Yeah. No, well, most astronauts, especially of Al's generation, were test pilots. So there's a long history of that. So to me, that makes perfect sense. I feel like I, like I should know when they first mentioned that, that Al was in the military, but I don't know. There's this giant book called Beyond the Mirror Image where you can probably find that. <laughs> <laughs> there is no mention that the only time the word Navy or Naval appears in the whole first season is Katie married a Naval officer in Genesis. Wow. No one mentions it. 
But the the thing with the medals did happen. I know that Al was wearing the medals on his white suit when he's in the car at the end of Played Against Seymour. And I believe that was in the book, too. Like, you were noting the differences in the medals because it's, it's not consistent with later on. Yes. Yeah. No, fair point. Yeah, there's a visual cue there. I was just thinking about the lines, but yeah. Went off on a little side thing there. Um, I do have a lot more stuff about Al in this. Uh, there's a lot going on here. First of all, we get the first bingo bango bongo. This is the little lady you were bingo bango bongoing up in the attic, huh? Yeah. Um, I think this is also the first time, maybe I'm misremembering, is this the first time that Sam refers to God time or whoever the hell? I don't know if it's the first time, but it's the first time that I recall him saying it almost in the order that we always like to say it in. Uh, now you're looking it up. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, because, no, because <laughs> well, because we, we never have the, the whole God time fate or whatever, uh, contrary to popular right. belief. Yeah, yeah, that's our version of Beam Me Up Scotty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Genesis has Al saying God or time or something. Okay, it's kind of. Yeah, it's another close one. Another close call. It's it's the closest, Scott or Time or whoever the hell. That should have been what it ended up being. GTWH. That's with right? the W. GTFW is is whoever the hell. Whatever the hell. <laughs> or Fader, whoever the hell. <laughs> so Al tries to tear the hand link in half when he's messing with it. I just yeah. like that bit of station. Because what is he doing? What is he doing, honestly? Yeah. Can you guys clarify something for me? Because I couldn't tell if he was switching between the hand link and a hand fan, or does the hand link actually blow air in this? No, he's he's holding a fan. Yeah, I think it's a, it's it's a thicker than the hand link. I think it's supposed to be one of those little handheld fans because the the AC unit isn't working. But the first time, if you listen, the first time the fan goes off, it makes a ziggy sound effect. Yeah, maybe it's supposed to be a future fan. I don't know. <laughs> It's so funny because, like, if anyone who's used one of those little handheld fans know it doesn't do shit, like, it's so low-powered, but they're blowing, like, there's some sort of off-camera giant stage fan just blowing his hair back. <laughs> I assume that's that's the point, though, isn't it? It's it's a futuristic fan that actually does work. Yeah, maybe that's what... It's so high-powered, you know? <laughs> I'm assuming that was the whole point. If we go in universe, the fact that Ziggy controls everything down to the microwaves at the project, there's no reason why she wouldn't control that fan. I'm sorry, he at this point wouldn't control that fan. So maybe it makes sense that you hear the the bloop bloop yeah. blop. Yeah, but he has it all turned off. That's why Al's using that in the first place. Well, maybe he made a deal with Ziggy saying, I, I can't, the air is too stagnant in here. I need something. Okay, Admiral, I'll give you this one. Yeah, Ziggy would be like, die. <laughs> <laughs> I love him, like, blowing the, the, the wind in his hair. And this is an example of early on, like, great contrast between hologram stuff and the environment around him because he's um, he's super hot and then he's super cold and he's blowing this fan. It doesn't affect anything else around him. Uh, I love when he, like, looks at Sam with the fan and just gives, like, a little wink before they cut away. Yeah. That's great. That's another one that they put into the opening credits. So... I feel like I'm going to say that a lot, though, because they didn't have a lot to draw on for the opening credits for season one anyway. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, yeah, Al's got some great outfits in this. Uh, he's got this giant furry coat and hat at yeah. the end when he's called. It's like, did he own this? Did he own this big furry coat? For what reason? In no universe do I see him walking around in this coat just in everyday life. This is a great look, but why? Why does he have this? Yeah, well, you know, the desert. 
You burn up in the daytime, you freeze at night. I feel like even in cold desert air, this is overkill. It's fun and it's funny, Allison. <laughs> it makes him stand out. <laughs> I'm sure they explain it in one of the novels. That's right. That's going to be my next novel. <laughs> I don't recall this, but yeah, maybe. Maybe we'll be reading it and I'll be like, that's it. There's an origin story. Right. Malachi gave it to it me. It has to be faux fur, too. <laughs> Al wouldn't have real fur. It has to be True. faux fur. True. Actually, with with Jean-Pierre uh, making the costumes, it would have been faux fur because he's big on not using real fur. Unless it was like a hand-me-down thing that they bought or something, but... Maybe as an astronaut, Al Crash landed somewhere in the Soviet Union and he got all those furs. <laughs> it's part of his Russian side. That's right. And that's when he escaped, when he escaped from that gulag. Right. Oh my God. I love this idea. I love this idea because they're so focused on the Italian part of him, but he's also part Russian. So they have to like show the duality of Al here. <laughs> the duality of Calavici. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so his main outfit for this whole episode, he's got this like Hawaiian shirt and shorts on. He's never worn shorts any other time, has he? No. I feel like this is the only time he ever wore shorts. I feel like, like maybe with Blake when, when he was also in the middle of the heat wave at Christmas time. No, he had short sleeve shirt, but he had long pants. I'm just thinking of times when I know that Al has been definitively hot on screen. I think that's the only other time Al was wearing a short sleeve shirt too. Was a little miracle. Yeah. And like I got I got head cannons for this. Tragic head cannons. <laughs> oh, <laughs> do no. share, do share. <laughs> I think like he's self-conscious about his arms. I think like, you know, you gotta get kind of messed up if you're like stuck in a tiger cage for like however many years, right? I feel like he covers up because he's self-conscious. But do you think like he was like scarred because he was beaten or something? You'd well you'd have to be, right? Like they did some pretty heinous stuff to people and he was there for however many years. Right? That's my headcanon about this. That's why he doesn't usually wear short sleeves or shorts. Wow, that's heavy headcanon. I thought this was going to be fun headcanon when you said no, that. No, no fun headcanons for me. Only heavy ones. Even when he's in the baseball episode, he's wearing a baseball shirt over a long sleeve shirt. It's such a weird choice. Mm -hmm. But it all fits in with my tragic headcanon. Oh. <laughs> but shirts on shirts on shirts was a very 90s look as well, so... I suppose. I mean, it fits Al, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you, you rarely saw him wearing anything like this. I also appreciated that the socks he was wearing were two different colors. I didn't spot that. They're two different colors. They're like red and green, like Christmas I, I was going to ask, were they red and green? That's Italian. Red they and were. Green. Red, white, and green. Red yeah. and green. Yeah, yeah Italian <laughs> socks. Wearing his sneaks with it. He can get to wear sneaks very often in this era. So, hey, pretty cool. Well, it's funny that you bring up sort of a darker side to your headcanon because there are some darker aspects of this episode that reared their head very early that made me think I was going to loathe it the way I loathe most mob stuff. Because Don Gino is reprehensible. He's just at, mm -hmm. at best, at best, he's a horrible bully. At worst, he's a rapist. You got somebody, don't you? Yeah, I got a guy who wants to commit suicide. Who could I have? Everybody in Brooklyn knows you'll hit any man over 14 who says hello to me. Why don't I believe you? Why start now? You didn't believe me when I said we were true either. We're not true. Not until I say so. Kavish. I mean, I feel like he's, as a mafia don, these are terrible things, but his worst thing is probably the murder stuff. No, I don't know. Well, I didn't see him murder anybody on screen. I saw him implicitly threaten a woman. You think the Mafia Don never murdered anyone? <laughs> I didn't see him do it on screen. 
I saw him threaten Teresa. I think it's implied with everyone being terrified. You're not meant to see it. That's the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, he, I mean, he's, yeah, he definitely is like a, a rapist uh, and a bully and everyone's terrified of him because he, he could kill them easily. And he would. Like, that's the whole thing with the, with the mafia. Yeah, and so it's just like, okay, we need another character like this. And again, the fact that they were able to, to start with that dark tone with her basically being afraid for her life in the garage and he is threatening her. Don't you ever go with anybody else besides me. Otherwise, you know, they'll be singing soprano and blah. It was just like, yeah, you're not with me for any other reason other than the fact that you are terrified of me. And that is all I care about. But she wasn't with him anymore. She broke up with him. Like I think she had some... Some smooth balls going on in this episode because she was defiant of him. Everyone else was terrified. She was the only one that wasn't, even after she broke up with him. I feel like she felt like maybe if he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me, but I can't do this anymore. And that's not a good place to be either. Yeah, I don't think she was in a good position, but I think she was pretty damn brave considering- Everyone else was terrified of him, and she's like, "Oh, one hundred, one hundred percent." And um, that's Teresa, the the actress that played Teresa is Terry Garber. I thought she was phenomenal. She was she so was good so in the good. episode. She was great, and she was so pretty. <laughs> and she's <laughs> she has this great smile. She has this great big smile. So just yeah, really compelling to watch. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that I I know her from anything else. The the one character that did stick out like a sore thumb because he's become so famous since he's much older now, but um, the guy who played Adriano, Mark Margolis, has a huge role, a recurring role in both uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He plays Hector. Ting, 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 ting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and just seeing him, you know, walking and talking and being a bastard. I think no matter what, he's playing a bastard. <laughs> has he always been old, though? That was the thing. I expect to see him young, and it's like, no, no, he's still old. He's like Strickland. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I knew you'd get that. Slacker! <laughs> but yeah, it, it is great seeing him. And the fact that, you know, it was basically very cartoony, they still, I think, tried to give everybody a significant part, even if it was just a comic relief significance. One thing that I wanted to get your guys' takes on... At the very end, when Sam is trying to fulfill Ziggy's plan, and they are up in the attic, and he gives Teresa the speech about how she's worthy, and that being a hairdresser is, is greater, that she matters. You deserve better than that, Teresa. Why? Because I can cut hair? For starters, it's a gift. A talent that makes you special. You got a lot of things that make you special, Teresa. You're pretty, you're sweet. Oh, thank you. Don't say it unless you mean it. I don't know about the old Frankie, but this Frankie is telling you. You're special, Teresa. Very special. And then, you know, they start making out. I feel like Sam did mean that, but everything we know about Sam says that he has to be in love. Do you think he's also saying that for his benefit to get him in the mood? So that he's invested in her emotionally? I think, like, he felt bad about what was going on, and he realized how low her self-worth was, and, mm. and wanted her to know how important she was. Like, that the physical part is less important to him, but emotionally, uh, he's like, she she needs this. But he's also psyching himself up emotionally, I believe, too, to do something that he probably has some reservations about doing. Sure. Yeah, this is season one horny Sam. He still has some reservations, but I feel like it wasn't until Honeymoon Express they really 
hammered home the point where he's like, I can't do this unless I'm in love with someone. It was like that with Tess. Like, he's like, I don't want to get too involved here. Like, you know, he he still cared, but I feel like in season one, he was a little more uh, up for doing that sort of thing. Yeah. He's a little more. He GTF. still had some reservations, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he he was connecting with her, and I think it's in keeping with Sam's character that he connected with her more emotionally before this. Like he's telling her about the stars and talking mm-hmm. about how worthy she is. So it isn't just like let's just get straight to the sex part. Mm. Yeah, I I mean the fact that they did try to give a nod and give her a little bit of depth beyond sort of the caricature that she was in the episode was nice. It was still a little weak sauce at the end. It was a little too little too late, but at least they tried. I I think this is the only place where the episode sort of gets more quantum leapy, more quintessentially quantum leapy with, with like the message and the sincerity and, and the Sam genuinely helping somebody. I mean, I think like, you know, him saying uh, or her her saying, I know men lie to me, don't lie to me, don't say this unless you mean it. It was really meaningful to her. And it's like, this is great. But also, does Frankie mean any of this stuff? This is all Sam saying this. So yep. that's the other issue. Like, yeah. I, she's like, I know you lie to me. And it's like, well, then that establishes Frankie is a liar. Like, he's saying, I don't know yeah. about the old Frankie, but this Frankie is like, well, this Frankie isn't Frankie, it's Sam. So does Frankie really mean, mean any of this stuff? And now she's going to get married to him. Right. And Frankie's married all of a sudden. Now she's going to say, tell me again about Orion's belt. And he's going to be like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, because he apparently has absolutely no transference from Sam at Another all. Another lie. <laughs> you said you knew the stars and all about Beetlejuice or whatever, Beetlegeist. You didn't know anything. But if... If Frankie's such a good liar and Teresa doesn't actually know any astronomy, then Frankie will just go, oh, yeah, yeah, Orion's shoulder, it's up there, and all that bullshit. Because he's a big liar. Yeah, he'll just wing it. That's right, it's that red one because he had a benga, 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 Orion had it coming. That's It's it's, it's the wound <laughs> on his shoulder, that's why it's red. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa was also the first of many Teresas that they have on the show. They love having Italian Teresas. Yes. It's a fun name. It's like Tom. Don just likes certain names, and he uses them over and over and over again. Yeah. It's not quite up to Tom levels of usage on the <laughs> show, but I can think of at least three Teresas. <laughs> yes. All written by Don or Deborah, I think. Just a, a, a name they liked. Yeah. I think you're thinking of the same three as I am. I'm thinking of Troyan for sure. Not, yeah, not a portrait for Troy, but I mean Troy and Belisario, her, her character. Yeah. Uh, right, yeah. And another mother that was uh, right. Teresa. Teresa and then in, um, Last Dance Before an Execution, there's Teresa. Yeah. 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 The bullet! The bullet! The bullet! <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, in this episode, uh, Sam finds out he can sing. Yes. As do we all. So we get Scott Bakula singing and dancing. Early on, they're like, get the singing and dancing in. Is this Sam's debut as a singer on the show? Yeah. It is, yeah. I I love it that Scott is such a talented singer and that they use it so heavily on the show, but the first time they do it, they play it for laughs. I think it's great. Oh, yeah. it's so good. I love that, like, okay, Sam's like, he's shitting his pants. He's like, oh, no, I got to sing. and I got to sing this song. I don't know, in Italian. And he's up there talking to Al. And I think there's another guy named Al that Al walks through because there's a credit that says other Al. Yeah. <laughs> I never spotted that. But, so he's like, hey, what do I do? And then, like, Al gives him the lyrics and somehow he knows the tune, even though Al is just stating the lines. 
And then he I'm starts s- getting super into it. He's such a showman. Like, he's like, hell yeah. And he starts <laughs> goofing off like a little loosey-goosey. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. Cantare. Your love has given me wings. It was probably a song they were singing a lot. When they were making the project, it was Man of La Mancha and Valari and Elvis's greatest hits. Yeah. <laughs> and also uh, the alphabet rap. <laughs> yes. Or anyway, a rap beat that became alphabet rap. They were fooling around <laughs> with a rap song. <laughs> Maybe it was the Valari rap before it was the alphabet rap. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, Matt, I love that super cut that you did. Uh, you put it on oh. uh, our YouTube channel for the Queen oh, podcast, yeah. um, where it's just all of the different language versions of Valari. Yeah, the alternate language versions are so good, especially that screech at the end that just yeah. ev- everyone <laughs> just goes for it. <laughs> you can just imagine the the <laughs> dubbing artists that are there usually just to like uh, stand there and act to someone else's performance, and I'm I'm sure it's a thankless job uh, that they all do wonderfully well, and then they're told, oh, alright, today you get to sing a song and ham it up. Uh, and they make the most of it. Except German, Sam. <laughs> it's so weird to me that they dubbed it over, because like, they're singing it in the same language. Yeah. Like, it's not like they translated it to whatever, it's still Valare and with the same lyrics. I mean, maybe it's just for consistency's sake, but I've definitely seen dubs where they just leave songs as they are if they're not translated into anything else. It's really inconsistent through the series. I mean, in that instance, the French and the Italian and the Mexican Spanish all translate, whereas the German one just dips to English. But that's then not the case whenever Sam or Al sings later in the show. Um, they pick and choose what they want to dub. Um, but this this was a good call for them. <laughs> the ABC rap. <laughs> the ABC rap. If the ABC rap was dubbed, please do a supercut of the ABC rap dubs. Oh, yeah. And we should just tell everybody you can find what we're talking about on our YouTube channel at um, youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast. And what is it titled, Matt? Do you remember? Uh, I don't know. V- Valari International, something like that. I'm sure Valari's. In yeah. It. Just look for the Valari, and it's so fun. <laughs> just the way you mash it together. It's such an awesome mashup. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's very good. There is a French translation of the alphabet rap, but the German one, again, just uses the English soundtrack. And I don't have an Italian soundtrack for that one, so. Please post the French version of the ABC rap. I need to hear this. I will post that tomorrow. By the time the listeners get hold of this, it will already be up. Yes! You're doing the Lord's work. I can't remember if it's any good. Yeah, it's going to be good. If it's the ABC rap, it's going to be good. Um, oh, okay. I know we went kind of off topic. Volare. Volare is an important song for Al, because they have later on in the episode Raped. He talks about how um, I think one of his wives like uh, sued him or something for singing in his sleep. Yeah, which is a normal thing to do. There was some story about him singing in his sleep, and it was Volare. You sang in your sleep? Mm-hmm. I can't let you was was volare. Oh, oh, cantare. Oh, oh, oh. Al, 
Al. Lolly. Al. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. So apparently this was a song he knew quite well. Yes. Well, I mean, Valare is to fly, right? So maybe she's saying, oh, you want to fly away from here, huh? Huh? I'll I'll show you. I think she was just annoyed that he was singing when they're trying to sleep. That too, but the subtext. That's probably the main annoyance. (laughs) (laughs) The line's third wife, she charged me with abuse for singing in my sleep. Oh, charged with abuse. Charged with abuse. Like a lawsuit then, right? That's what it was. Yeah, that's how I'd read that. Called the cops to the house. Yeah. This is underlying tragedy. They play it for comedy. Another effed up Calavici moment. (laughs) (laughs) It should just be a segment. Like, here's the effed up Calavici moment. (laughs) Laugh, laugh, laugh. And then you sit in the dark thinking about it for a while. And this this is a long game as well, because in this episode, he's teaching it to Sam and we're like, oh, isn't that fun? And he's kind of eyeing up some of the guests and yeah, then... Boom, four years later, we discover that actually there's tragedy behind this moment. Well, you know, he's, he, the song means more to him than his wife, you know, because the song never left him. <laughs> Which wife was it again? Uh, third. Third wife. Ruthie? I can't believe it. Ruthie seemed like one of the good ones. I can't believe this happened. Ruthie had her limits. I expected better from Ruthie. <laughs> <laughs> Silly Al. <laughs> He's such a goof. He says in this episode that uh, some ideas were flopperoonies. The both of them were flopperoonies. Well, he says flopperoonies. Uh, that's Al slang. I'm surprised that he didn't slang it up in the Italian because they did have a ton of slang in this. Italian slang that, you know, I know just from growing up around it. But there a lot of them are like kind of curse words. Rude Italian words, yeah, oh yeah, please tell us about these rude words. Well, it just surprised me, like Jamoke means idiot. You talk to me like I'm some ordinary jibble. Like a dope. But they use the word putana, which is basically see you next Tuesday. See what happens when a putana like Teresa walks out on you. It's also used for like dirty lady whore. And he says, ah, maron. Maron. I say that all the time, which is just like, Jesus. Like, I wrote Jeepers. (laughs) What time slot was this airing in at this point? Because I wondered that even when she came out with the smooth balls line. Who's playing with smooth balls? Like, hang on a second, what? You mean the smooth balls when she presents to the camera? That smooth balls line? Oh my God. They had to rig up specifically like a skirt that would come up like that. Like they had to put a lot of work into that moment. Just to have an upskirt shot where she, while she's talking about smooth balls. If Tess needed a lesson on how to lift her tail like a broodmare, Teresa yeah. could have given it to her. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Brazen. She's doing this right in front of Don Gino. Like, yeah, suck it, man. Like, she's <laughs> no regard for her life whatsoever. Sorry, on the topic, since you, you mentioned the, the fact that they, yeah, um, Jean-Pierre said it had to all be rigged up so that the, the skirt lifted up properly. I only just noticed this time that in the end credits, Jean-Pierre's name is like stamped right across her butt. That's the freeze frame <laughs> that they choose yep. to put his name up and it just goes right across her ass. It's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Here's who you have to thank. Yeah. <laughs> that had to be an in-joke. Because I noticed that as well. And I said, there's no way that's not deliberate. <laughs> so funny. He probably thought it was funny. I can't oh, yeah. speak for him, but I'd like to think he thought that was funny. Uh, it seems like the kind of thing he'd have laughed at. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, some of these words, um, there's like some slurs in there, right? So like, Finocchio, that's like a gay person. I risk life and limb to come up here and you're acting like a Finocchio. She mentions it and I said, well, I wasn't really paying attention to the context because I was surprised to hear it. Uh, Finocchio is, is just fennel, you know, which is like a type of vegetable, but it's used derogatorily for like a gay slur. It means like sissy or the other F word, you know? Um, right. And she also uses the word culo, which is, of course, your butt. The one that surprised me the most, though, and I guess it maybe it shouldn't, aside from Putana, and Sam says it a couple of times, Stugats. Just find a Stugats and everything will be for Benny. Stugats, bingo. Got it. Stugats is literally, it's like the cock, like they mean like cocksucker. Like Stugats. Hey, Stugats. It's it's kind of wow. a bad word. Like, you don't call somebody that. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is what I love about old-ass American TV. Even current stuff, they still do it. If it's in another language or, like, another vernacular that's, like, less offensive here, they're like, you can just use it whenever. Yeah. You could just use swear words, because yeah. who's going to know? Like, <laughs> Except for people who know Italian, apparently. They're like, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> right amazing it's like when they use wanker on american tv yeah. it's like ah it's fine yeah <laughs> that's british it's like this isn't acceptable wanker and shag yeah <laughs> i wonder in the italian dub uh i don't know if you would know this offhand matt if they changed any of these words i gotta check that out because i wonder if that was something they would air as is or maybe they did it in a different time slot not really sure what the uh standards for uh television are or were in uh, 80s Italy. <laughs> well, that gives me a new thing to check out. Thank you, Alison. Yeah, I mean, I feel like sometimes I've seen like the opposite kind of thing happen if I'm watching something that is like a cartoon directed at kids originally in some other language, and then when it gets translated to English, sometimes you get stuff thrown in there that in English is a lot dirtier, like you get damn and shit and whatever, and yeah. all like things that wouldn't be in a kid's cartoon uh, in English. So sometimes you do kind of get things translated back, but that could also just be a translation issue as well. But obviously not in this case, because uh, you know what the words mean. People who speak Italian know what those words mean. Yep. So, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting thing to look at. Um, also, I should mention, this is the first episode of quantum leap that i have watched on peacock they are finally streaming <laughs> nice, it yeah on peacock and um i'm going to be interested in seeing how or if they edit any of the language in episodes that are coming up because quantum leap did tackle a lot of different types of topics a lot of different kinds of issues and used different types of language that was acceptable at the time which maybe not so much today. So I, I want to keep an eye on that as we go. I feel like generally you don't see the edited versions of these things on streaming. Uh, they either get removed or they get a, a content warning. Not always, but mm. I feel like that's the ideal way to do it is a content warning uh, rather than just taking something down. I agree. But from what I can tell, nothing's been taken down because I did scroll through some of the, you know, the seasons as they came up to make sure everything was there. Nothing was missing because I'm thinking about the old, the old music rights. And I know that, Matt, <laughs> you've corrected me on that. I'm sorry, Matt. I know it annoys you now that people bring it up. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I know it, it took a while to for everything to filter out, but I don't think there's anything dubious out there. And it just, it, it just amazes me that... Uh, 
it's it's still an issue, and it, that it was still an issue for that long after the corrected ones started doing the rounds. I feel like um, the difference between content on Quantum Leap, the Italian swears on this episode aside, with the language that they use that is offensive generally it's used in a historical context or that was the vernacular at the time, like when they say yes. retarded and, and Jimmy, mm-hmm. that was not meant in a derogatory way versus like some shows where that was just part of the cultural norm or like it was used more freely and they have to say like, hey, this is not okay. It was used more cavalierly in just a blatant racist way as opposed to putting it in the social context that Quantum Leap is trying to explore. Yeah, like when they're th- when they're throwing around things that are racist, it's because they are racist and condemned in the episode. It's not like Sam's just exactly. throwing around the N-word because he is a, a racist, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. So I just want to keep an eye on that as we go forward with the streaming because I don't really have very much experience with rewatches and um, – Quantum Leap especially is not something I've rewatched extensively since, you know, until we started doing the podcast. So just seeing how some of this stuff might have changed off of like a DVD, say, or off of like a Blu-ray, which is going to have the original in a streaming environment based on current standards. I'm fascinated by the evolution of all that stuff. So I'll be looking, I'll be looking forward to it. Right. I know some uh, television airings of Quantum Leap currently do bleep out certain words or uh, just mute them, uh, and not just um, slurs. Like uh, I know there have been some airings of Shock Theater where they uh, mute Nutcase and stuff like that. Some of these things that haven't held up as well. Wow. Uh, but I don't think in streaming usually you you get the censored versions. Right, two seconds because I've got the Italian version here for the iris life and then to come up here line i just want to check it out to see if it does say finocchio let's do it yep she says finocchio wow they kept it yeah that's surprising i'll check through the rest cool and one last thing that uh i thought was a well two two small things since we're getting towards (laughs) the end of the episode two small things i love the fact that when sam is don gino and they go to the bingo to help nona that he just stares the furnace up and down because of what Teresa said. Better than behind the furnace of St. Francis. Behind the furnace? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, the church? Oh, oh, up on that. I don't That's think so I caught cool. that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no. He eyeballs that furnace quite intently. <laughs> So good. Like when when Al walks through it, you can hear him kind of echoing from inside it. That's definitely a season one mm. thing. Mm. Like, why would he sound like that? Right. Yeah, when he talks, he sounds like he's in the furnace. And I love the other part. I mean, it was just a little touch. It was great that um, once uh, Scott had the priest announced that they were going to be married and that Frankie is no longer in the business and all this, he just starts posing like yeah. his leap pose. <laughs> Yay! <Yeah. laughs> Time to leap out. <laughs> Bye, suckers. It's very good. They have a lot of great comedy moments in it. They do. I think like season one did kind of go goofier with some stuff. So I think this this does have some good comedy stuff in it. I like that um, when Sam thinks that he's there to start the unisex revolution, yes. he's like smiling to himself like, yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and then like when he sits down to get shampooed, he's got to like take his gun off. I thought that was kind of funny. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, we got to get the gun off. <laughs> and I love that shampooing scene because it's just one long take. Yeah. Teresa does a terrible job. 
the bottom half of his hair is still dry. <laughs> she does a terrible job of shampooing, but she does a great job of uh, doing that one take while shampooing somebody's head without flubbing it up. So it was a good scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad shampoo, good scene. But she's freaking out at that point. So it's understandable in universe that she wouldn't be doing her best job. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think they're supposed to be depicting a great shampoo job. <laughs> she shampoos his forehead more than she shampoos the back of his head. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. She's just like slathering his forehead while she's doing this. <laughs> Such good stuff. Um, I also liked the bit, too, where um, Sam's like doesn't know why he's not leaping. And so uh, he's like, well, what if I have to live the rest of my life as a mafia don? And I was like, nah, there's no chance because he gets murdered in April. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very fast and loose with the death jokes on this one. Yeah, everybody's going to get hit eventually. Benga, benga, benga. Yeah, was this another instance of like there's a couple things he was there to do? Because it ends on the bingo thing. What did he even do? Is it just because like they won honestly in the bingo game? I, I, The way I look at it is like if Matt, if we go back to the very beginning of the show and the retcon that you just gave me in my head, that this wasn't a leap out of Frankie and into the Don, but a failed retrieval that bounced him back into the Don, then we don't know what his original mission would have been because it was always about Ziggy says you need to plug in the hairdryer and be back in the attic so we can try to retrieve you. It was never like you need to save Teresa from the Don murdering her in her sleep because she had the audacity to look at him sideways. Right. Did they never explicitly say what he was there to write? It was just them trying to retrieve him and then this stuff sort of happened. <laughs> and then the maybe that like this was him trying to rectify the situation that Frankie was in as the Don, but that's not what the Don was there to do. That's not what he was there to fix as the Don. As the Don, he was supposed to get Nona to have bingo for the first time in months. Yeah, but like he was already going to like force the win like they were cheating like they, they were they were um coercing this priest into letting her win but i guess this time it was honestly because sam just happened to pick the right ball sure is it just because he didn't threaten him and it was just an honest win is that i mean i i just don't understand the point <laughs> of any of that the point is to have a feel-good moment for Nona at the end and everybody gets a chuckle. <laughs> Everyone gets to say bingo. That's right. It's a piggy suey ending. Exactly. That's as good an explanation as any. Yeah, it's a piggy suey ending, but I at least understand what the ending of that one was. I, I really don't understand exactly what this was. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, like they're acting like they understand. It's like, you want to let us in on it? Because I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It seems so obvious to them. <laughs> It just another season one, maybe they're just shaking this thing out still, right? They're not. Sure. Yeah, they're not figuring it out. And I think that might be a good way to maybe segue into some final thoughts. Do you guys have any like more pressing themes or things that we haven't discussed yet? I just had two more notes okay. I wanted to bring up. They're small things. This was the first appearance of the Universal Backlot Stoop that they use so much. Oh, you mean, you mean uh, Hollywood Brooklyn? Backlot Brooklyn. Yeah, Hollywood yeah. Brooklyn. We're <laughs> yeah. using like so many things like that stoop. Now, every time I'm watching something that's filmed on that backlot, I'm like, there's the stoop. There's the stoop. <laughs> I saw something that was like set in a post-apocalyptic future and they just set a bunch of screens and stuff around that stoop and it looked stupid. I was like, oh, there's the stoop and it's <laughs> it's got a bunch <laughs> of screens on it. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. I felt like I was watching a rerun of Seinfeld. <laughs> 
It's so funny. Um, yeah, it's the last thing. Um, there's a uh, reflection shot I thought was pretty smooth when they're yeah. uh, walking down the street and uh, the, in the window, uh, sh- the shop window, they see like Frankie and all of the guys walking alongside each other and then they pan over and Scott Bakula switches out. I thought that looked pretty good and it was um, yeah. it was different. It wasn't just Sam looking in a mirror. Cool. I didn't notice that. I have to go back and take a look. Yeah. Yeah, it's really neatly done. Yeah, I thought that the reflection shots in this were generally very well done. I know that the one time when you had Frankie saying his line, it's Scott talking, but Frankie's lip syncing. You don't see Scott's face. So that is probably why it seems so effective because you're not trying to match it specifically. But you get the illusion that it's matching, which I liked. They did have to match each other's actions pretty well, though. They had to do the little uh, finger gun and the little spin. Yeah, it was it was really good. It was really well done. And this was the one thing now I finally understand. Again, they're shaking it out. Second episode, technically, they don't really know what the cadence of the show is going to be. And I always wondered why when I saw this in syndication, this was the only leap, I believe, where you get the title in the tease, in the leap in. And then it goes to the opening credits. It just makes sense. It's the only way you can do it in this episode because they bring the title up right away after the opening credits, but they use that as the tease when the thing goes to syndication. So it's like they rearranged it somehow. And finally, that that little gap in knowledge is filled in in my head. That's interesting. I mean, I've not seen any of the season one syndicated versions, but I would have assumed that would have been an issue with all of them because the original versions all have... Saga Cell opening credits, then straight after, well, How the Test Was Won isn't immediate, but most of them have the title, the first shot coming back after the credits, like this one does. So I never thought about that, but I would have assumed they would have done that with all of them unless they did something more clever. Interesting. From my memory, and I guess we have listeners out there that can correct me, watching this primarily in syndication my entire life, this was the one episode where you have the title in the tease, mm-hmm. and then they go to the credits. So yeah. um, it was just neat to see. And now that I have gotten used to the time-traveling Lone Ranger thing and the way that they do it without the saga cell, it makes much more sense. Yeah, so the syndicated cut, they, they would have had to have invented teasers because there were no teasers originally. So they're all fictional teasers. I'm just, yeah, I would have thought that would have dragged the title back more frequently. But think about it like this, because in Starcross, the tease is just the pipe dropping out of his mouth and they smash cut to the credits. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> in Right Hand to God, it's just Sam being punched in the face, smash cut to the credits. Wow, so so they had some really short teases then in the in syndication right and Tess was the first one where you had I think more of a substantial tease but it's still just Sam standing in the hog pen uh, go to aerial shot smash cut to credits yeah I believe anyway and now now we have this one where it's actually become an issue because you have a significant portion of the plot being played out in the tease in the leap in with the title over it so it's maybe one of the first times when they were cutting it for syndication it might have it's just unavoidable yeah that's all I got. <laughs> That's all I got too. Matt, you got anything else? No, I got nothing else. All right, guys. So let's do some final thoughts on Double Identity. Allison. This is fun. It's a fun, enjoyable episode. I think all of the characters have something fun to do. 
Yeah, I just really enjoy it. And it's a it's one that feels like an early season episode, but not in an awkward way. Like it just feels like, ah, these are when things are are young and fresh and they're just beginning the journey. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. It feels like everyone involved in this is having fun and it's infectious, especially when Scott's up there singing Volari. It just feels like everyone is having a really good time and it's and not in that off-putting way. You just watch it and get and get sucked in. So, yeah, I, as as the final new episode of Quantum Leap that I ever saw, uh, I think <laughs> it uh, it stands up. I'm I, I'm quite pleased it was that. It went out on a high note for me. Yeah, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, what really makes me happy about this episode is that again, it's technically the second episode ever filmed, but Sam is there. Like Scott was just born to play Sam and he nails Sam from episode one from the pilot. There's no awkward like this isn't something Sam would do. I know that you like to say that he's horny Sam in season one, but just his genuine Samness and the relationship between him and Al is so effortless. The chemistry between the two is just evident from the get-go and it makes the show a joy to watch, just watching them play off of each other. And, you know, added on to the fact that I quite enjoyed a lot of the Italian aspects of this episode, I come away glad that I rewatched it. Now I can rethink of it. It's not one, oh, that that one season one where I don't want to watch it because I find some of the things offensive. It's a good episode. It's a fun episode. I'd recommend anybody watch it. Does it have its problems? Yeah, but you know, most episodes do have some problems if you're going to look deep enough. Mm-hmm. So um, this was just my particular problem. And as I said before, I'm going to leave that flag on that little hill and just forget about it from now on <laughs> because it's <laughs> it's not worth selling Quantum Leap with with some kind of moral stance that just, I don't know. Anyway, Listen, guys, I got to stop talking. I got to go down and stir the risotto. But um, when I'm done with that, we'll be back. And uh, we have some uh, new patrons to announce and some feedback. So, hey, let's do some Tarantella. See you on the flip side. Beyond the Mirror Image is an 800-page hardback book packed full of information about Quantum Leap. It's been on sale since 2016 to rave reviews, and it's written by one of the Quantum Leap podcast team, so you know it's a high-quality product. Now, I'd like to invite you to support the second edition at Kickstarter. It's bigger and contains so much more information than the first. If you pledge in our 60-day campaign window, you'll get a numbered copy with colour pages which will never be available again, and you'll get a written acknowledgement in the book, plus there's optional extras to pledge for. So don't delay. Come to kickstarter.com and search Beyond the Mirror Image to help bring this project to life. This is Shari Headley, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. It's the feedback. Whoa. AOA. We're back for the feedback. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> was that walking on sunshine? I'm trying to figure that out, Allison. Oh, no, I was doing Valare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was hearing the final feedback by Europe. It's the, it's final, the final feedback. <laughs> Ah, so yeah, so we're back we're from the break. We're reading the feedback. Whoa! <laughs> 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 <laughs>
And don't it feel good? Yeah. <gasps> you know what feels even better than feedback? <laughs> new patrons. <laughs> new patrons. We have two new patrons to announce. One is new, one is upgrading. First, let's give a big round of applause to Mr. Tom Madison. Woo! Tom Yay, Tom! If that name sounds familiar, Tom is the brother of Scott Madison, who designed our beautiful logo. So, Tom and I have spoken a couple of times on other podcasts, and he's a great guy. He decided to join us at the $3 Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club level. So, he is now a book club supporter, and I have already sent him his bookmark. So, Tom, look for that in the mail. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much. You're going to have it just in time for us to read Search and Rescue. Thanks. You said he was the, he was the one who designed the logo? Is that what you said? No, no, no. His brother, Scott designed our logo his brother scott oh so now he's getting some merch of his brother's logo how incestuous <laughs> he's being a good brother tom was just like hey scott send me one of those sweet bookmarks and scott's like sorry i just designed it i don't have the bookmarks i'm lucky chris sent me one so he said damn it how am i gonna get one now <laughs> how am i gonna get that sweet qlp merch <laughs> it's belisarius productions level of nepotism going on right here <laughs> if your surname isn't Matteson, you're not on the show <laughs> We got we got uh, an upgrading member as well, right? Yep, yep, we do, and um, it is Mr. Jeff Kiska. Welcome, Jeff, Yay! to the ranks Yay! of producer. Jeff was a ten dollar oh boy member. I still have not done his oh boy interview, but he has decided to up his pledge to a twenty dollar producer supporter. And I have been including him in the closing credits of the last few shows. This is just the first time that we've actually been able to thank you on mic personally. So, thank you, Jeff for Thank upgrading. You. Thank you. And along with his upgrade, Jeff sent us an email. He begins, I can't begin to describe how much I enjoy this podcast. You folks have gotten me back into a show that I loved as a kid in a way that I never thought I'd experience again. I'm even following along with the novel series, which I only managed to read three or four of back in the day. So <laughs> thanks to the QLP, I'm already enjoying new-to-me Quantum Leap stories that I just never had the motivation to seek out before. My excitement level about the upcoming Quantum Leap series is only slightly above the anticipation I feel for listening to my three favorite Leapers discuss the episodes and the universe that they reveal as they air. Since I know how much work that's going to be, I'm gladly increasing my pledge as a way to help this podcast continue to be the absolute best, while hopefully not burning out all of the amazing people who already put a lot of their time and energy into it. I'm so glad his three favorite leapers are ours. I was worried for a moment there. <laughs> yeah, he didn't specify, I assumed. <laughs> I think it might be Sam, Ben, and Aaliyah. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jeff finishes by saying, This podcast has taken us on a wonderful journey through a much beloved universe so far. Your affection for the show really comes through in every installment of the QLP, and I thank you all for sharing it with us. I'm eagerly looking forward to whatever comes next. Until then, I'll see you in the future. Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. That's some great feedback, Jeff. Makes us feel real good. I'm interested that it's motivating him to read more of the novels. I'm, <laughs> given the recording that we're doing next, I'm not entirely sure how motivated he's going to be to continue. But Jeff, please. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Once you're done with Search and Rescue, please write us and let us know what you yeah. thought. I'm yeah. interested <laughs> to know, Jeff. <laughs> okay, so we're tipping our hat as to what's coming next, but... 
Before we get there, before we get there, it's nice of you, Jeff, to really kick in and um, to help us try to meet the goal of hiring an editor for the um, new show when it comes on as we go weekly. I'm going to give all of you uh, a couple of updates on that score. Um, Number one, we're still about only 35% of the way to the goal of being able to do this on a regular basis going forward. However, we have amassed enough money to get about 10 hours of editing in, which should give us basically what we need for the reboot. And we could not have done that without you, our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much. And not only that, not only do we have that war chest set aside, I have been in talks with a very good editor who um, I respect greatly. And um, he has told me that he's got some time opening up in September and he'll be able to take on the bulk of the work. And you guys know who it is, don't you? Mm-hmm. Who is it? It's Mr. Albert Mark Burge, creator Woo! of the Quantum Leap podcast. Yeah. Wow, how'd we get that guy? I, I'm very persuasive. I'm a charming, charming dude now. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This might seem weird to people who don't know because Albie is the creator of the podcast, but a large part of the reason he had to step away from the podcast is because he's also a professional editor and he has so much work that the podcast was just actually eating into the stuff that he has to do to you know, keep his house and feed his daughter and you know, keep his car on the road, make a living. But we were discussing it, and he said, who are you thinking of getting? I said, you know who I really want. I want you because you know the show better than anybody. And he said, let me, let me, let me check. And um, he was looking at his schedule for September, and he said, I could probably do it in September. I said, all right. Well, you know, you know what we have to work with fund-wise. And he said, yeah, that's fine. That's about 10 hours for a professional editor. And I said, then why are we even having any more discussion? You're hired. And that was that. <laughs> he is very, very – now, I, I, need, I need you guys and, and I need listeners out there to reassure Albie because he kind of feels like he's cheating. What do you mean? Cheating. Technically, it's his show. To take a paycheck to edit it, he feels weird to do it. You shouldn't get that money, man. Get that money, Albie. You're putting in the work. You should get paid for it. Absolutely. So he, you know, I want you guys to reassure Albie that you're as thrilled to have him on board doing this for us as we are to have him because this gives me nothing but peace of mind. I've said it before. Um, I think when we're talking about Matt's book, Beyond the Mirror Image, The Observer's Guide to Quantum Leap, uh, volume two coming out, go to Kickstarter to support that for Matt. Um, But... I had said that it's going to be hard for me to let go of the control that I have over the show. And if I had two people I could choose to do it, one would be Allison and the other one would be Albie. And um, I know Allison's not available and I can't afford her. (laughs) (laughs) Can't afford me as I fan myself with money. (laughs) Bathing in the cash. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the other one, of course, was Albie. And just the fact that it aligned so that he is able to take it on, I am just over the moon. I'm just so happy about that. So thank you, Albie. Yeah, thanks, Albie. This is great. Yeah, it works out perfect because it is is his job, but he gets to do something that hopefully he finds fun. Yeah, <laughs> and it's something that that he like. He's been dang. He's been working so hard on um the uh, the YouTube channel and uh, creating thumbnails for that and putting together clips and stuff like that. Like he's been going all out with that stuff. He's been doing that stuff for free. So if he can do uh, the editing, 
get paid for it. I'm really happy for him, and I'm ha- happy that we got him because um, he's a good friend, and uh, and we know him, and we trust him, we know he knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, more importantly, all your listeners can trust him as well. I mean, he's probably the reason you started to listen to the show in the first place, so it's just like coming home to me. Yeah, genuinely good guy. Yeah, this is great news. And genuinely a talented editor, I think we're all in good hands. So thanks, Albie. Thank you so much. And thank you for um, all of you patrons, to Jeff and to Tom and to everybody else who have supported us over these last couple of years. I mean, the the support has just grown. The love has just grown. And we're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The YouTube channel is really taking off. And we're getting a lot of hits on a lot of stuff there. So this Quantum Leap community is growing. This podcast is growing. It's just some good stuff. Let's go, Leapers. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I tried to do the little like a gentle tap on the desk and it didn't didn't come off at all. Good good effort though. Good effort. It's like, oh parents are in the next room. I don't want them to hear. Let's go leave parents. <laughs> Boom goes the dynamite. So <laughs> All right. Uh, so, if you would like to be like Jeff and like Tom and like everybody else who has uh, responded to this podcast in the past, there are many ways that you can do so. First and foremost, you can drop us a line. Please drop us a line at our shiny new P.O. Box. That's P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. That's P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can also call us on the telephone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can find us on the YouTubes at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. Remember to put the the in there. Otherwise, it's not going to come up. So uh, you can also support us on Patreon at Patreon patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast hey yo matt <laughs> speaking of upcoming episodes paisan what's coming up next don't expect the accent from me <laughs> um you should know better hey something um so <laughs> It's the best you're going to get. So, oh, I'm so excited. We are going to be talking next about Search and Rescue, the next Quantum Leap novel by Melissa Crandall. And it's going to be a good one, I think, because we always try and hold back our commentary for the recording so we get genuine reactions from each other. But some stuff's been leaking out on our (laughs) chat over the last couple of days because I think we're so eager to talk about it. Let's let's not share anything for the listeners, but oh, I'm looking forward to this. We one. can share the blurb. Let me read the blurb for you okay, guys. Wait, can I read yes, the blurb? I'll oh, grab it real quick. I want to read it. All right, okay, well, I gotta grab the book. I'll be right back. <laughs> All right, I got it. I am I'm just pumped. I'm pumped. All right, <laughs> search and rescue. When trapped between two storms, survival becomes a leap of faith. The thunder rolls over the desert in New Mexico, and Sam Beckett leaps into a man named Philip Payne, a doctor involved in the search for a plane that went down in the wilds of British Columbia. The lightning flashes, and Project Observer Al Calavici also leaps into a passenger on the plane. Now Sam must race against time and the forces of nature for the sake of a father and a daughter at bitter odds, and for the life of his friend... Quantum Leap, Search and Rescue, all-new adventure, first time in print, oh yes! Oh my god, 
God! Yes! <laughs> Melissa Crandall, you done it! Oh, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. <laughs> this is going to be such a good podcast. If you guys listen to no other book podcast, and you shouldn't listen to all the book podcasts, if you listen to no other one, you should listen to Search and Rescue, because it's going to be an all-timer. I don't know what's better, the back cover blurb or the portrait of Sam on, on the front cover with all the guy liner, all the beautiful, <laughs> oh beautiful God, guy liner. so much guy liner. <laughs> Intense. We will be talking about that and much more on the next episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Until then, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Or you might be sleeping with the fishes. <laughs> oh, Larry. Oh, oh. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Joshua Burwald, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. Hey, Stugatz.